welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. This week, Simon Barrington is joined by Nick Harding, the director of Together for the Harvest in Liverpool and of Kairos Connections, a movement that's encouraging missional expressions of church across the UK. So today on the Forge Leadership Podcast, I'm joined by Nick Harding. Nick is the director of Kairos Connections and also Together for the Harvest, a a unity movement across Merseyside that's bringing together uh, churches in missional unity, reaching out to the city. So Nick, welcome. Thank you very much, Simon. Yeah, it's great to be with you. We're doing this recording in Ipswich, which is strange. Tell us what you've been doing in Ipswich uh, this weekend. So this is my first time in Ipswich. I was uh, saying earlier that um, my only other connection with Ipswich was... Uh, having been bereft as a 12-year-old by my first girlfriend moving away to (laughs) Ipswich, uh, which broke my heart. (laughs) So I've never been there, but I'm just kind of very much enjoying being here. We've got the weather today, and uh, actually it's a lovely town, really pretty and um, nice part of the country. So I'm here because I'm working with a couple of churches, um, with um, Ipswich International Church and also today at uh, Burlington Baptist. And um, it's all about mission and discipleship, training leaders, and encouraging church members to to live that lifestyle of what it means. To, I, I use the phrase a missionary disciple, okay. which means like living as a disciple of Jesus, someone yeah. who's following Jesus, someone who's being apprenticed in that in that uh, role as a as a follower, and someone who's learning to become more like Jesus, yeah. both in his character and in the things that he did. So it's about helping people grow as disciples, but not just disciples who fill pews on a Sunday, but disciples who are missionaries to wherever God's place them wherever he's sent them where they live where they work where they play where they hang out Um, so Kairos Connection is about that and today this weekend I've been trying to encourage other leaders to think about how can we be and do church in such a way that we maximize the opportunity to raise and release missionary disciples to our places to our neighborhoods to our towns to our cities to our office blocks to our hospitals our schools how can we do that so that's what I've been here doing and uh, thoroughly enjoying it, having a great time. <laughs> and we just had a joint service with um, two churches together in unity, worshipping together, mm-hmm. and I was playing keyboards and it was fantastic to hear you talking about uh, the joy of the Lord being our strength. Tell me though, how you came to be leading Kairos Connections, what's your journey been um, in the service you were telling a little bit about, uh, starting off as a, a GP? As a doctor yeah. mm-hmm. um, how do you go from being a doctor in Bristol to leading a church in Liverpool and then leading a, a missional movement across mm-hmm. uh, across Liverpool as well um, so if you want the, the full story then it starts as probably a 13 or 14 year old okay. having come to faith as a 12 year old yeah. joining a Christian organization and the, the guy who ran it was the teacher at my school okay. and he just said to me casually one day um, you, know, you know, Nick, you're a leader. And I'd never thought of myself as a leader really? until that point. But he, okay. he, pl- he planted a seed yeah. that maybe God would want to use me in leading something. I didn't know what. Yeah. But as a 19-year-old spending a summer on mission with YWAM, Youth yeah. with a Mission, yeah. first in Paris and then in Amsterdam, okay. uh, discovering actually this is what we were made for, yeah. made to live as disciples of Jesus in community, reaching out on mission together. Yeah. And that, that's exactly what I experienced then. And so I was always kind of looking to be part of a church where that kind of lifestyle yeah. and priority around mission, discipleship, community could actually develop. Um, and so we ended up, Jenny, who was also on a mission that same summer, 1973, going back a bit, <laughs> um, 
came back from that looking for a church and we joined a small house church just a dozen people in a front room uh, and that that's where I was really nurtured and trained and discipled um, as a follower of Jesus in, in a whole new set of ways and uh, very quickly um, they had the, uh, the the foresight to give me lots of opportunities to lead uh, you know whether it's small groups they invited me into their leadership team and as the church grew over the next 18 years from dozen in a front room to about 700 this is in Bristol yeah. where I trained as a medical student yeah. and eventually became a GP yeah. um, they gave me those opportunities to lead so by the time I'd become a GP uh, I was already leading a congregation of about 80 people right. and, and ended up planting three congregations in Bristol and sending another team to plant a church in Swindon um, but kind of knew all along that probably I needed to because I wasn't the senior leader I was just part of the leadership yeah, team there yeah. and they were fantastic at nurturing my gifts and yeah. encouraging me and yeah. giving me great opportunities which is actually one of the things I've really learned about leadership okay. is uh, you know to be a leader you need to raise leaders yeah. and raising leaders means giving lots of opportunities yeah. uh, which I was given freely and I'm so grateful for that but eventually probably needed a bit more space to grow into that leadership and so they blessed us to recruit a team and 12 of us 1991 moved from Bristol to Liverpool wow. to plant a church there wow. and so it was like I'd served an 18-year apprenticeship yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 18 years of growing in my leadership yeah. and finally they were letting me loose and God was letting me loose yeah. to start something from scratch yeah. and you know 18 years on we were a dozen people in the front room again like history repeating yeah, itself yeah. but this time with a ch ch chance to yeah plant a church from scratch. That sounds like a kind of a Paul Timothy kind of experience. Of, were there specific people in Bristol who yeah. invested into your life, who mentored you, who discipled? Absolutely. You? Yeah, very definitely. There was a, a Hugh Thompson was one of the first guys, okay. another guy called Peter Lyne, yeah. and then a couple called Dave and Reday, who were probably, to me and Jenny, like were spiritual parents. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I lived with them before I was uh, married. Right. Okay. Uh, so I got to see what a what a you know, full Christian household yeah. and sort of missional lifestyle yeah. looked like in a household context. Yeah. We bought our first flat directly opposite their house. Really? So our wow. front room looked into their front room. Okay. And they okay. continued to invest in us and nurture yeah. us, yeah. give us those opportunities and encourage us. And, you know, from the very most practical things, teaching us about parenting, about marriage, okay. uh, as well as about living this extended family community lifestyle, yeah. which has become the norm for us. We didn't know that that's, okay. that was... You know even a possibility until yeah. I lived with them and then we watched them and yeah. well we thought well that's what Christians do we will do that so that wasn't part of your upbringing because because I heard you say today about you know how you and Jenny now open your home and mm. have a big table and inviting lots of people around and uh, that wasn't something you 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 were brought up with rather but something that you learned from mentors in, in your teenagers yeah, we, we did indeed and um, one, one of the mentor there was a guy called Steve Hebden who was also a real blessing mm to us and taught me loads of stuff but no that 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 lifestyle was something that we we watched yeah. we observed it you know we today I'm, I teach about the power of imitation okay. and modeling you okay. know if we're trying to bring people into a different kind of way of being and doing faith and church yeah. then the best way to teach them is to model it yeah. so they can imitate just as Jesus disciples because everything goes back yeah. to how did Jesus do it what did he do with his disciples just as Jesus gave his disciples the chance to watch him mm. heal the sick, raise the dead, mm. feed the 5,000, etc., etc., and then sent them out to do the same. Yeah. So, so we get that same privilege of uh, modeling the lifestyle 
not just individually, just me, not just me and God, but me and God's family. What does that look like together? So yeah, that was modeled to us and that's how we, we grew into that lifestyle of shared, sharing our family life with others who either lived with us. We've probably had over a hundred people live with us over the years. Um, and those who just orbit in and out of our home through the week, yeah. you're sharing meals, yeah. you know, sharing just simple things like you know, watching a film together or praying together and worshiping together. So yeah, a whole variety of ways of sharing life together was modeled to us. Now, some people will say, think of that and think that that's a really scary prospect, actually, that you know, if you're gonna open up your home, you've got four children, um, if you can open up your home, what's the impact on the children going to be? What's, how does it impact me in terms of being vulnerable? Because you can't hide very much, can you? If, you know, if you've got 100 people living with you over the years yeah. and you're extending your family and extending, you know, what's some of the challenges? Be very real with us. What's some of the yeah. challenges around that and, and what have you learned in that okay. process? Well, there's a couple of things you learn not to do. Okay. Okay, you think twice before you break wind. <laughs> <laughs> and you think twice before you have a row with your wife. Okay. <laughs> so actually, being serious, it yeah. probably saved us from a lot of rows that yeah. we would think, actually, yeah. it's not worth it. Just get over it. Yeah. You know, whatever it is that was yeah. bothering us, either yeah. of us, Jenny or me, yeah. just, oh, it's not worth it, you know. And because there's other people around, yeah. you don't indulge yourself in that sort of that anger and that kind of frustration. Yeah. You just get on with life. And yeah. I think the thing that probably, I mean, I'm an introvert. Okay. I mean, I talk, I describe okay. myself as a card carrying yeah. introvert. Yeah. I'm a true introvert. Yeah. You know, I need my own space. Yeah. I recharge by being on my own. Okay. You know, I, I'm most creative when I'm thinking by myself. Yeah. I tell everybody in our church, if you see me in Costa Coffee or Starbucks in Liverpool, don't come and disturb <laughs> me. I'm having introvert time, okay? So as an introvert, people say, well, how did you cope with having yeah. all those people in your yeah. house? Well, yeah. obviously there were times when I took myself off. Yeah. Sometimes I had to take myself out of the house to find yeah. that space. Yeah. But generally what I found was because I believe God designed us this way to live yeah. in extended family, like yeah. Jesus with the disciples, yeah. like the whole Jewish culture, yeah. uh, like the early church, in and out of each other's homes, talks about sharing their meals together with glad and sincere hearts. Mm. You know, that was the lifestyle that Jesus actually intended for us. And as I connected with that, mm. discovered actually there is so much joy in this. <laughs> and I just, it was such a rich lifestyle. And yeah. for our children's point of view, yeah. We've asked them many times over the years since they've left home, you know, how did you find it? You know, did you think it was overall positive or negative? And although they did have some negatives occasionally, like people, adults trying to tell them off who weren't their parents, right, okay. which like those are the sort of things we had to draw boundaries on. And in fact, I end, we ended up with a whole bunch of, you know, Harding's happy hips tips for helpful lodges in our household kind of thing. Okay. But yeah. the... The, the overwhelming feedback from them is entirely positive. Yeah. You know, lots of adults to engage with. It was the, f the house was full of fun and noise and laughter. And, yeah. and generally they added massively to the enrichment of our family life. Yeah. yeah, there were one or two that we did have to ask to leave because it wasn't working for the family. Yeah. You do have to do that sometimes. Yeah. And often, usually that was because one of our kids wasn't coping. But um, yeah, we've had all sorts. We've had the most needy people and we've had people who are brilliant, just fun people to be around and everything in between mm. and uh, generally the children benefited massively from that i think i think their lives were richer mm. 
Yeah. Now coming back to this idea of, you know, if you're going to be a leader, you need to raise other leaders. Mm. Um, it looks like you've modeled that in, in Frontline Church, which is the church which you led in Liverpool and grew mm. from a house group to over 1,000 uh, people attended on a Sunday. Uh, but you've passed that on to another Harding now who isn't related. So tell me about mm. that process and how you raised up other mm. leaders to the extent that you could back away mm. from a church which mm. you birthed. I mean, that must be mm. very painful uh, process. Was it painful or was it joyous? I mean, how, how did that work? Well, there's, there's at least six questions in there. <laughs> but um, let me just unpick them. First of all, let me correct. There's not a thousand attending on a Sunday. Okay. okay. There's a thousand, eleven hundred on the books. That's yeah. adults okay. and kids. Yeah. So yeah. probably, you know, two thirds of those on a Sunday, yeah. probably. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, raisingly, I mean, I always say that the primary job of a senior leader in a church context is to raise other leaders. Mm. And uh, I think it was Peter Wagner in out of Fuller used to teach that the rate limiting factor for the growth of any church is the rate at which they can raise leaders. Okay. I think it's not the entire truth, but there's a lot yeah. of truth in that. Yeah. So yeah, for me, to be honest, it was always the greatest joy to raise other leaders, to see, again, thinking about Jesus, what did he do? He invested in making disciples who became leaders. And um, so that's always been the greatest joy for me. For me, preaching, I can take it or leave it. You know, okay. I, I don't live to preach. I preach in order to get a job done. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't live for any kind of public function of church leadership. I live to invest my life in others because I know mm. long term that yields the greatest fruit mm. and the greatest potential, not just for addition to the life of a church, but for multiplication. So it's been a joy to invest in leaders. And of course, as they grow, you know, you champion them, yeah. you know, you cheer them on. And if they can outgrow you, then that's a result that's that's that that reflects well on me. Yeah. If they outstrip me, if they have greater gifts than me, if they have greater leadership capacity, I think, well, that's a job well done. Yeah. So the current leader, John Harding, who's an amazing leader, he, he's probably the same age as my eldest daughter, and uh, he's been leading the church for two and a half years now. He has had the courage to do things that I never had to do. Okay. You know, and I wish I'd, I'd done them in some ways, but he's taken the church on to the next level. Um, and I watch him. I just want to applaud him. You know, I just think he's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, no, I don't feel anything negative about that. That's entirely positive for me. As for the pain yes. you mentioned, yeah. yes, when you founded something from scratch yeah. and you raised it to be something healthy and strong, yeah. to give it away is painful because there's loss involved. Yeah. And, and, and whenever there's loss involved, there's pain, it's, yeah. it's, and you go through a grief process. Yes. Thankfully, we took a four-year run at this. So... We didn't just say, okay, one day John's going to be the leader and next month hand over. Yeah. We took four years to process it. So for me, a lot of my grieving was during the four years as I was coming to terms with what was about to happen. And in the last year in particular, just handing more and more of the responsibility that myself and my co-pastor, Dave Connolly, had uh, had for all those years, just handing that across to John and realizing actually this was liberating for me because it meant I could do other things. And although I didn't know what it would be when we started the four-year process, yeah. that was a bit scary, yeah. not knowing what I would step into. By the end of the four years, it was really clear that these two roles with Together for the Harvest, a day a week, and Kairos Connection, four days a week, was going to be more than enough challenge for me. <laughs> so it's still my church family. I still yeah. worship there. I love going on a Sunday. And uh, you know, a little smile comes on my face when something goes wrong, you know, like the, the rejected doesn't work or somebody doesn't turn up for the welcoming or you know there's mess on the floor I think oh 
not my problem. <laughs> and I can just enjoy being there, being part of the family and worshipping there. You know, Jenny and I love worshipping there. That's fantastic. It is, it's our home and we hope we never have to move on. Now, if, if the leader's primary responsibility is to raise up other leaders, what, what are the practices and the disciplines that you've learned over the years um, that have enabled you to do that? Mm. Okay. We, we talk about something called the training triangle, okay. uh, which revolves around three elements. We talk about information, yeah. imitation yeah. and innovation. So information obviously means you have to pass on a certain amount of information as your training leaders. Yeah. We see Jesus did that. He yeah. taught the crowds, he taught the disciples. Yeah. There was the transmission of principle-based information. In fact, Jesus used story most yeah. of the time. Yeah. So that's one aspect. The imitation part is another aspect where I'm actually putting my life on display. So whether it's people living with us or whether it's me gathering a group of leaders around the table or whether it's you know, going on mission with other people, yeah. I want my life to be, I want them to see how I pray. I want them to see how I engage with other people in conversation. I want them to see how I share my faith. Mm. I want them to see how I treat my wife. I want them to see how I raise my kids. Yeah. I want them to understand how I deal with my finances, mm. all the practical things of life, as yeah. well as the spiritual, more spiritual things. Yeah. I want them to see that. So it's a life on display and it, there's deliberate, intentional vulnerability around that. Mm. So I will, I will not hold back anything that's going wrong. I'll, explain to them things that I'm currently struggling with or things that I've had to deal with in the past where I've had to get through that. And then the final bit is the innovation yeah. where I say, okay, you know, Jesus took his disciples with him. He let them watch him yeah. and then he sends them out on mission. He says, right, you go and do what you've seen me do. Yeah. And so there's that third stage in raising leaders, which is to give them the space. Yeah. In fact, I have a definition of leadership, Simon, which is it's give and take, okay? And the take bit is it's people who will take initiative and responsibility. Mm. I'm looking for people who will step up. I'm not necessarily going to call them a leader. Sometimes yeah. that scares people off. I just yeah. say, would you do, have a go at doing this? Yeah. And if they will step up to take initiative and responsibility, yeah. then they are a potential leader. In fact, they are leading when they're doing that. Yeah. But also it's around give. It's not just take, it's give as well. Yeah. And they are people who will give others permission to do things mm. and support in doing them. Mm. So it's give permission and support and it's take initiative responsibility. And so in my raising leaders, I'm trying to do both those things. I'm trying to give them space yeah. to do stuff, mm. to take initiative and responsibility and then to train them mm. to do the same. So effectively, you end up with a leadership pipeline of people mm. being raised up, not just about me, but those I'm investing in. Mm. You know, Paul said to Timothy, didn't he? These things you've heard from me yeah. entrust to faithful men who will impart those things to others also. So there's like those generations of leaders being raised. And, and how do you deal with failure in young leaders? So, you know, you're doing that, you're allowing them to take responsibility, you're giving them some space. Mm. Um, what are the kind of values that you mm. bring to creating the culture in which yeah. they feel safe enough to take risks? Sure. And taking risks is a huge part of it. Mm. Uh, and as my one of my past mentors, Dave Day, used to say, and he who never made a mistake never made anything. Yeah. Um, and I love the fact that Jesus let his disciples make mistakes. Yeah. You know, he didn't mind the fact that they had, they couldn't cast the demon out of the boy. He didn't mind that Peter was sinking on the water. Mm. He didn't mind the fact that you know the blank look on their faces when he said, "You give them something to eat." Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he was prepared for them to feel awkward and find, experience the difficulties for themselves mm. in order to learn and grow. Because we 
we learn so much more from our mistakes and failures. When we succeed at something, we just think, oh, that's because we're brilliant. Mm. You know? When we fail at something, mm. it forces us to stop and take stock of why did that happen. Mm. So one of my favorite quotes is, uh, it may be Archbishop William Temple, I'm not totally sure, but it's um, the quote that, uh, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing badly, <laughs> which is totally counterintuitive <laughs> because we always hear the opposite. Yeah. Um, but what that's saying is, I need to allow people to fail and the culture that I'm trying to build is a culture where failure is not only permissible mm. but it's even celebrated mm. and that means for me I have to allow things to happen around me which don't necessarily reflect well on me okay. because they're not going well people are messing up yeah. people do make mistakes yeah. but because of a commitment to developing other people to mm. growing disciples and raising leaders mm. I have to create that culture so that other people are free to do that. So if I give someone the church first chance to preach and it totally bums, you know, it, goes, it just doesn't go well at all. I just want to say, you did so well, yeah. you had a go, you know, and we're going to look at that and we're going to learn from that yeah. and we're going to figure out how you can do better next yeah. time, yeah. get them back on the horse. Yeah. So the culture where, perm perm where there's permission to fail, where we celebrate those things that we've learned from failure and to have another go. But how have you got to a place where in your own self you have a security in your identity that's strong enough to enable that to happen? Because I know many leaders who, who wouldn't raise up other leaders that are better than them, who would take it personally if leaders they were raising up failed. You know, so what's your journey been on, on that mm. side? Well, that's a lifelong journey, Simon. Yeah. You know, I say we're all we are all insecure. I don't know anyone who is not insecure if you push them hard enough. Yeah. Everyone has a level of insecurity. Yeah. You know, for some people, the level is very low. It doesn't take much just to flick them into an insecure response, a defensiveness, a, a kind of guarding their territory. And it, it's sadly, it's one of the most common things amongst church leaders, mm. this kind of protectiveness and defensiveness. And it really hinders the work of God with churches and leaders working together. But for me personally, I think it's been a series of kind of moments where God's got hold of me and mm. shook me and said, look, Nick, this isn't good enough. Mm. You've got to get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about me. Mm. It's not about your ministry. It's about my church and my ministry. Mm. Um, and for me, I think it's partly being willing to be held accountable for that, yeah. you know, from God, but also from other people, yeah. letting other people speak into my life, pointing out where they see signs of insecurity, mm. helping me to understand that actually, you know, that's not really how I want to live. I don't want to live as, a, as an insecure person. Mm. I want to live free of all of that. And so for me, I've got a vested interest in getting rid of that stuff. And so, you know, wherever those moments occur when God pinpoints something, getting someone to pray with me, going through a whole, you know, depth of profound repentance. Mm. There's like, Lord, I want to turn away from this. I don't want to be like that. Mm. Please forgive me for, you know, being insecure for defending myself, for not letting other people get the credit or whatever the, the manifestation might be. Um, forgive me, I repent, I turn away. And then pushing into the love of God, that's the biggest thing, okay. um, is just to say, I am loved by my Father in heaven. Absolutely loved. And nothing I can do can make him love me more. Nothing I can do can make him love me, best, love me less. And... Um, just wallowing, you know, I use the, literally the word wallowing, like a pig mollow, wallowing in muck, okay. wallowing in the love of God and yeah. just letting it wash all over me and reminding myself and thanking God for it and worshipping him and allowing him the place of worship, his love to fill my heart. And, you know, that love is the thing that really breaks insecurity because when I know I'm loved, 
What does it matter what anybody else thinks? Mm. What does it matter whether I've got a reputation or not? Mm. What does it matter whether I get the credit or not? Mm. What does it matter whether my church is bigger than his church or not? Mm. Because I'm loved. I'm loved by the creator of the universe. Mm. What more do I want? Yeah. And there's fantastic freedom in that. Isn't Great freedom. Yeah. And, you know, I'm still growing into that. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. haven't attained, as Paul said yet. And tell me a little bit about the unity movement that's happening in Liverpool and what's happening amongst the churches there. You have an audacious vision over the next 10 years. Um, tell people about that and, and maybe a little bit about what you've learned about leadership in, <laughs> in working that through as well. Sure. Well, it, it is a bit audacious, but I kind of think, well, if we don't have a vision that's so big mm. that if God doesn't turn up, it's not going to work, mm. then our vision probably isn't big enough. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a vision that's grown. It's not just my vision. It's the vision of many others in, in our city region mm. to believe that God really does want every man, woman and child to not just hear, but hear, taste, smell, see, experience mm. the good news of Jesus. Mm. Um, and we've, we've talked about that. We've had that little strap line for ourselves as a group of leaders working. We've been working together over 20 years. Wow. Um, this strap line is every man, woman and child, you know, and that's the kind of yeah. the piece that holds our feet to the fire. Okay. Are we reaching every man, woman and child? Okay. Are, is there a gospel presence in every school for every child? Yeah. Is there a gospel presence in every neighborhood? Yeah. Is there a community of believers modeling this lifestyle yeah. that everyone can access and be in touch with? Yeah. So here, here's one of the keys that I, I think is really important for any kind of city movement. Yeah is one is well the first key is that it's missional yeah. because there are many city movements city city leaders movements of church leaders who work together where it's either fraternal which is nothing wrong with that supporting yeah. each other praying for each other or it's um project based you know social action projects usually how can we work together to bring yeah. street pastors into our town or city yeah. all of that's good stuff but if it doesn't if that movement doesn't lead with mission it doesn't lead with the gospel both demonstrated and declared yeah both proclaimed and and modeled in yeah. practical ways, yeah. then we probably are missing the heart of God mm. uh, for our town or city. So we became, over the years, probably too event-based. Okay. Either events where leaders came together for leaders' meetings mm. or events where we put on projects or events which we did do mission, but they were kind of hit-and-run yeah. type yeah. mission. Yeah. We'll, we'll gather together for a big event. You know, the biggest one we did was Merseyfest 2005. Yeah. Which was a week of social action projects across a hundred different locations, mm. and then you know eighty thousand people gathering in one of our big parks for a yeah. celebration at the weekend. Yeah. I mean, it was a great event, but it was an event. Yeah. It came and it went, yeah. and so it's probably a little bit the way I'm wired because I'm probably not event wired. Mm. But the I think it's a real corrective that most of these city movements need mm. is to think more in terms of process. Okay. So you need event and you need process. Yeah. But in my, in my book, as we work together, events need to serve the process rather than the other way around. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're looking at how do we process the idea of reaching every man, woman and child in a 10-year time frame with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that leads us to a whole different set of conclusions about what we need to do in practice. Mm -hmm. So, for example, at the moment, we're in the early phases of renewing this vision and uh, thinking how we work it through. It's really been only in the last two years that I think we've taken that the process side of it seriously. It's only the last two years we've put a time frame of 10 years on it. Because mm -hmm. I think, well, if the church, all the resources of the church yeah. in our region yeah. can't do it in a 10-year time frame, <laughs> we're not worthy of being called the church. You know, come on, church, we can do this. Um, so I, we feel God's given us that, and uh, we're, that's what we're working towards. So 
the first thing we're doing is saying, let's try and raise the level of missional confidence okay. right across the church. Because yeah. let's face it, most of us are like the rest of us. Yeah. And most of us don't have a lot of confidence yeah. to share our faith, to talk about Jesus, or even to invite people to something. Yeah. And so those three confidences yeah. is something we've, we put a package together for training local churches. We're running our fourth series of that with different churches coming together at the moment. And uh, over the next few years, I hope that we'll, that'll spread right across the region mm-hmm. just to raise the water level, yeah. to raise the temperature yeah. of missional yeah. confidence. Because yeah. yeah. that could just be a game changer in its yeah. own right. No, if everybody, if, even if 50% yeah. of people in our churches had the confidence to talk about their faith story because they'd practiced mm-hmm. how to tell their story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be able to just bring that into everyday conversations. Mm-hmm. Had the confidence to talk about why Jesus is such good news. Mm-hmm and to be able to share that when the opportunities arose and had the confidence to invite people to some kind of event or a you know a stepping stone towards faith like an alpha course or you know whatever it might be even just a social event that connects them with other christians those three confidences alone would be a game changer so we're we've trained a whole bunch of what we call evangelist equippers okay to run these courses yeah. all around the region yeah. and we've just started that at the end of last year and that's really exciting mm-hmm. There's lots of things that need to happen in between, but the final end point, I think, where we would be able to say, as far as the Great Commission goes, yeah. we've done what we can yeah. in our region, yeah. would be to have what we call one in a thousand. That's our little okay. strap yeah. line, one in a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. One in a thousand missional, multiplying yeah. missional expressions of church yeah. in every neighborhood, wow. in every part of our city region, so that at the end of the day, yeah we could say two things. One is everybody yeah. would know somebody whose life's been changed by Jesus. Mm-hmm. We had a great MP when we first moved to Liverpool in our area in Wavertree called David Alton. Okay. Yes. And he yeah. used to have yeah. a, a slogan yeah. on yeah. his billboards at election time that yeah. said, everybody knows somebody who's been helped by David Alton. <laughs> and it was absolutely true. They did, he was a great MP. Yeah. And so I've kind of adapted that to say at the yeah. end of 10 years, everybody would know somebody whose life's been changed by Jesus simply because of the proximity yeah of these groups, these missional groups. Yeah. You know, they could start out as cell groups or home groups or missional communities or fresh expressions or church plants yeah. or congregations, yeah. but just so that everybody is in contact. Yeah. So not only that they know someone whose life's been changed by Jesus, but they also know where there's a bunch of Christians who are living this stuff out together yeah. and that's a place they can go to where they need to encounter good news, when they need practical help, where they need solutions to their problems, yeah. where they can go to to go on a spiritual journey because that's been stirred up in their hearts. And that's a really exciting vision. Um, as we kind of come to an end, what, what are some of the, the joys of, of trying to implement that across uh, the Mersey region, um, working with different leaders, and what are some of the challenges that we could pray for you? Well, I'll give you micro and then I'll give you macro. The, at the micro end, the greatest joy is doing it myself. Working that out in my neighborhood yeah. with my missional community, yeah. Yeah. prayer walking the area, meeting new people, making it real, finding yeah. people yeah. of peace, yeah. you know, sharing in their difficulties yeah. and struggles, helping them find Jesus. Mm. That is the greatest mm. joy. Mm. Working across the region, it's finding like minded leaders yeah. who don't have to agree with all of our theology, yeah. you know, from charismatic to reformed, yeah. doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Those who share a passion for the gospel, yeah. who say yes to this vision, yeah. just thinking, okay. Together, we can do this. My conviction is it takes the whole church to reach the whole region. Um, And therefore, finding other leaders who say, yes, how can we work together 
asking God that question, figuring it out, and just doing what he says, that is the greatest joy of all. Nick Harding, Director of Kairos Connections, and, and together for the Harvest, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lord Simon. Us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed the interview. Please tell your leadership colleagues and friends if you did, and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can do that on the Forge Leadership website at forge-leadership.com. Thank you.